Hi, everyone. Welcome to Be Happy, a podcast by the Hepatitis B Foundation, discussing all things related to hepatitis B. It's your host, Evangeline. And Bright. Today, we are discussing myths and misconceptions and asking important questions about transmission, relationships, treatments, and more. Today, we are joined with Dr. Yasmin Ibrahim, Program Manager at the Hepatitis B Foundation. Please introduce yourself. Thanks for having me, Evangeline and Bright. I'm Yasmin Ibrahim. For my role with the Hepatitis B Foundation, I respond to hundreds of questions every month, providing information and sharing some of our resources. I also lead studies about quality of life for people living with Hepatitis B, how to define uh, quality of life using what really matters to people living with this journey and the role of social support. I also look into ways to improve participation in hepatitis B clinical trials and how to make clinical trial participation accessible to those who really suffer from the disease. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Our first question in this Myths and Misconceptions podcast episode is, is hepatitis B genetic? And why do some entire families have hepatitis B? Same question. Um, hepatitis B is not genetic. A genetic disease means that a person would be born with genetic map that make them more susceptible for certain diseases. Even if the disease shows later in life, like some types of diabetes or retinal degeneration of the eye. So that's what a genetic disease means. Hepatitis B is an infectious disease, which means that someone who has the virus in their blood has to pass it on to another individual who doesn't have it. So when when a mother has the virus and doesn't know about it, which is most of the mothers who are living with hepatitis B, many of them don't really realize it or know that they have it. She will infect her babies during birth. This is when we see so many members or brothers and sisters and siblings in the same family affected with hepatitis B because more than 90% of infants that are infected will develop chronic hepatitis B. Thank you for clarifying that. So you touched on mother-to-child transmission in that. So how does this happen? Is it the blood through the birth canal? Is it while the baby is growing in the stomach? During the amazing moment of birth, this is an amazing moment. During this amazing moment, there is a time when the mother's blood gets directly in touch with the baby's blood. And this is when the virus is transferred from the mother to the baby. So it's during birth. There are ways to prevent this because luckily hepatitis B is a vaccine preventable. The birth dose of the hepatitis B vaccine is safe and effective when given in the first 12 hours of the baby's life. Uh, And then it should be followed by the remaining two shots at one and six months of age. Birth dose should be given to the baby regardless of their mother's hepatitis B status because as I just mentioned, Many mothers don't really know their hepatitis B status, so it should be really given to every baby who was born, and and this is the recommendation of the World Health Organization and many professional health organizations. However, if the mother knows that she is living with chronic hepatitis B, she must take extra steps. She must follow up with a liver specialist to make sure that she is receiving the right care to protect her baby. If hepatitis B viral load is high, or if she tests positive for hepatitis B E antigen, this is an important marker, then she needs to receive antiviral treatment during the final three months of her pregnancy to suppress the viral activity, to put the virus under control and reduce the the virus in her blood that might be transferred to her baby. So when the birth moment is due, 
there is less virus in her blood and therefore less chance of passing it on to her baby. Wonderful. Thank you for clarifying that. So you also mentioned that you sometimes you would see siblings like brothers and sisters with hepatitis B, as well as the mother, maybe the father. But sometimes some people are the only ones in the family living with hepatitis B. Do we know why this is? This is probably horizontal transmission. So it it might be that a family member who lives in the same household is living with hepatitis B and children, especially one to five-year-old, they have very delicate skin. Uh, It can break easily, bruise, get bitten by a mosquito. And so whatever reason they have an open wound, there could be a chance or a higher chance for them to get infected, especially if the family doesn't know that this individual is living with hepatitis B. If the child is not vaccinated, up to 50% of young children between one and five years old who are infected will develop chronic hepatitis B infection. The other possibility is that this individual has been infected as an adult, so not as a child. So they grew up healthy individuals, they didn't get infected, and then they got infected as an adult. And we know that 5 to 10% of individuals or adults who get infected will, will develop chronic hepatitis B infection, either without symptoms or with very mild symptoms that are usually missed. These are two possibilities, and there are other possibilities, but again, these are probably the more common possibilities in this situation. Great. Thank you for that. That makes sense. Vertical versus horizontal transmission. It makes a lot of sense. So can I eat with someone who has hepatitis B and can I eat food if they prepare the meal? You can eat and enjoy food as much as you want. Hepatitis B is not spread casually. So sharing food, hugging, shaking hands, and even light kissing These are all activities that do not transmit the infection. So if someone is living with chronic hepatitis B, prepares a yummy meal, enjoy it in every possible way. Enjoy the food, enjoy the moment, enjoy the fact that they cared for you and made this meal for you. Of course, if someone gets injured or they injured themselves while preparing the meal, they really have to wash their hands immediately, disinfect any blood spill, if any, cover any cut wound. So like the regular or the usual hygienic practices, but more cautiously and, and more diligently if someone is living with hepatitis B. But other than that, Preparing food, preparing meals, sharing utensils doesn't really transmit the infection. I think it makes sense. I mean, it's 100% safe unless there is this accident where, let's say, the person gets cut or there's an injury because it's, like you said, it's a blood-borne disease. So if there is Mm -hmm. no any exposure to the infected blood, there is no alarm for concern. But you know, as in the kitchen, accidents do happen. And so in that case, then you might take in precautions, but other than that, you should be 100% safe, like you said. Wait, quick question. Say somebody is living with hepatitis B and cuts themselves on a knife or whatever, like slicing something, dicing something. If they just put a Band-Aid on and like wrapped it well, would that be okay? And cleaned up their the blood, of course, and anything associated with that? Well, yeah, if, if they if they wash their hands properly, if they clean and disinfect any blood spill, if any, I mean, usually when we cut ourselves, it's just a minor cut, so there is usually no blood spills involved. But if any, of course, the blood spill needs to be cleaned and the area disinfected or the surface disinfected. They need to wrap their wound properly and cover it properly, and then everything is fine. It's a cut wound like any other cut wound. Honestly, even if someone doesn't live with chronic hepatitis B, if that happens, they need to do that anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's just good kitchen 
sanitary practice. Exactly. So that's what I usually say in the email, by the way, if I get asked these questions, I usually tell them like, you really need to follow the general good hygienic practices. You did touch on food and utensils. How about chopsticks or bowls? Sharing of those things. What is your response to that? Yeah, it, it is the same. You can share forks, spoons, glasses, bowl, dishes and bowls with someone living with hepatitis B. I would go again to the point of general hygienic practices. Usually like sharing that stuff has rules and limits in general. In, in our kitchen, we all have our norms and, and, uh, and lines. But in general, sharing all these utensils that you mentioned should be safe to share and use together. They don't need to be washed in a separate container. They don't need to be washed separately. We can actually share them while we eat. So as long as we maintain good hygiene in a kitchen or good safe practice in the kitchen, everything is fine. I mean, sharing utensils has other hazards for, let's say, other actually pathogens, mm-hmm. but not hepatitis B. So we discussed already that hepatitis B is not genetic and cannot be transmitted through casual contact, like eating meals together. So can you explain how hepatitis B is transmitted? Sure. Hepatitis B is transmitted through direct contact with blood and sexual fluids. This can occur from an infected mother to her newborn during birth, as we explained earlier. Also through direct blood-to-blood contact, like sharing any sharp instruments such as razors, nail clippers, toothbrushes, or earrings. Since small amounts of blood can be exchanged through these items. And here it's very important to mention that hepatitis B virus is a very stubborn virus. It has uh, the ability to live on surfaces for up to seven days. Every day passes, it gets a little bit weaker, but up to seven days, it could be viable and still infect. And the other thing is, I always call it a sneaky virus. These small blood spots have the virus, they have the possibility uh, transmitting the infection. Of course, all these situations that I'm describing assume that an individual is not vaccinated against the virus. Also, body piercing and tattooing are potential source of infection if the tools and needles used are on a steroid. Uh, hepatitis B can also be transmitted through unprotected sex with someone living with hepatitis B and the other partner is not vaccinated against the virus. Once the partner is fully vaccinated, intimate unprotected sex can be practiced. Hepatitis B can also be transmitted through using unsterile needles. Great. Thank you for clarifying the transmission modes. Um, I've heard sometimes that bodily fluids is also a way to transmit hepatitis B. So it's like saliva, sweat, or tears a way that transmission can happen or no? Some studies have shown that saliva, sweat, uh, and sometimes tears may contain minor levels of the virus, but no scientific evidence has been found or shown that contact with with these fluids, saliva or sweat or tears, uh, transmits the infection. So, for example, light kissing, that that doesn't transmit the virus, as I just mentioned earlier. As long as both partners or household members don't have open wound, then the contact with these body fluids will not transmit the infection. In the case of saliva, for example, if it just happens that both partners have open wounds or the kissing is made in a rough way that led to having an open wound, then we know that the blood-to-blood contact will be the reason or the platform transmitting the infection, not the 
light kissing or not the contact with the saliva. This has been scientifically proven. So the contact with these bodily fluids doesn't really cause risk. And if a person who is not infected with hepatitis B and is vaccinated against hepatitis B virus, they get their peace of mind for protecting and securing themselves. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. I actually have a quick question. Women get periods every month. Can hepatitis B live in period blood as well? It does. It, it lives in the blood in general, and period blood is not any different. So for partners who sometimes practice sex during period time without I don't know how common that is, but even if it happens, that's another risk of transmitting the infection. I mean, but if they are having unprotected sex and if the other partner is not vaccinated, even if it's not during the period, the sexual fluids will have the virus anyway. The, the period blood also does contain the, the virus. Well, the period blood is basically just lining of the uterus. So w- what it is, is Every month, the uterus is preparing for having a baby, whether there is a baby or no, whether even that woman is sexually active or not. Regardless, it's just like it's biological. Every month they get ready. Let's get ready. There might be a baby and then there is no baby. Then the lining sheds. That lining, if there is a baby, is the one when it sheds and when the contact of blood uh, happens during birth. That's... In a simplified way, it's much more complicated, but I'm just, just trying to, to simplify it. Yes, that blood has the virus as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for simplifying that. I just wanted to clarify. It didn't even occur to me then until we were talking about like different bodily fluids and functions and stuff like that. Uh, let, let me come in a little bit here. So from my understanding, it, it sounds like in order for someone to be infected or for hepatitis B to be transmitted, there have to be an, a presence of blood or an exchange of an infected blood for that to happen. If there is no blood, if there is no blood in the whole situation, then the chances or the likelihood of infection is very low. Is, is that true? Is that right? Hepatitis B is a blood-borne disease. So yes, the contact of blood is the main platform and sexual fluids. So if the contact, the blood-to-blood contact or the sexual fluid contact is not there, then the likelihood of transmitting the infection uh, is very low. However, because we don't really notice every single bruise and wound and like Mm -hmm. a simple scratch in in our hands because many people living with hepatitis B don't actually know their status. In in my own personal opinion, with a vaccine-preventable disease, everyone should be vaccinated. Like there should be only two types uh, of people in the world, those who are living with the disease and those who are vaccinated. And as we move forward, more and more people will be vaccinated and less and less people will be living with the disease until it's totally eliminated. And that's what happened with all vaccine preventable diseases in the past. So why not hepatitis B? So if someone living with hepatitis B wants to have sex with their new partner, how would you go about explaining your status to your new partner or how do you have that conversation? That's an excellent question. And I wish there is like a silver bullet solution for this, right? But there isn't because we're dealing with humans and it's hard to anticipate how people will react. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so knowing when and how to disclose can be difficult. Uh, some people may be supportive, whereas others may withdraw or even be angry. Often this is due to their lack of knowledge about the condition. Once the news is broken or, or uh, someone breaks the news to their partner or to their friends, immediately all like pre-made conceptions about hepatitis B jump into their minds and that's what controls their, their reaction at that moment. So I would just advise those who are living this situation to be prepared that their relation may change, maybe better, maybe worse. It's really hard to, to anticipate. We do provide step-by-step -step guide on our website under uh, blogs. Uh, we have a very well elaborate and well-written blog about this topic. But in short, this individual needs to be well-prepared to explain provide knowledge, share credible references for information, and most importantly, they need to be prepared to absorb their partner's reaction and be prepared for the best and for the worst outcomes. Because as I said, with humans, it's sometimes hard to really anticipate how people will, will react. Another important resource I would like to highlight is to get guidance from people who have been in this situation before them. HeppyCommunity.org is an online platform for people living with hepatitis B from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And one can chat with people from around the world, those living with hepatitis B, scientists and clinicians, and connect with health experts and scientists and, and people who have actually lived this journey to exchange experiences and, and opinions. Additionally, researchers always share their latest hepatitis B research on this forum in a patient-friendly format. So those who are not scientists can really get latest update on where the research on hepatitis B is at the moment. And it's free. So it's a great resource to use. Sure. You, you make a great point that it's good to have the conversation, but also as the person having a conversation, you have to be prepared that it could go either way. You could be accepted or rejected. And so preparing yourself for that could be helpful in a situation. So I, I think that's an important point because most of the time when people uh, share stuff, they, they only hope for acceptance. They don't think about other part of possibly rejection, you know, and so when it happens, then they, they kind of are surprised by it. But like you said, they should be prepared that they could either be accepted or rejected, and that will help in the whole conversation as well. So thank you for stressing on that. Yes, Brian, thank you for adding that point too. You need to prepare yourself for either reaction. Can someone with hepatitis B practice any sexual activity they prefer? There is no short answer to this, but here is my, my spiel. There are some important steps to take to make sure one's partner doesn't become infected. So before marrying or having sexual relations and, and after taking that serious conversation uh, with transparency that we just talked about, about this, the whole situation, one must make sure that their partner is vaccinated against hepatitis B and has enough hepatitis B antibodies to protect them have them go to the doctor and get screened for hepatitis B. And screening for hepatitis B before vaccination is very important because after screening, they might discover they either need to be vaccinated, so they need to go for and receive the vaccine, or they might have been infected in the past and they don't know. As I mentioned, and as we all know, many individuals may be infected and they 
don't have symptoms or present with very mild symptoms that are often missed, or they might have been vaccinated as children and, and they just forgot or their records doesn't show. It happens very often that I receive emails with the screening results and they say, oh, we don't understand what that means. And it basically means that they have been vaccinated as, as children. So they should get screened. And if the screening shows that they are not infected or have not been vaccinated in the past, they should get the hepatitis B vaccine. The hepatitis B vaccine is given for adults as three dose series at zero and one and six months. And for adults living in the United States, there is a two-dose option given at zero and one month. It is recommended after completing, one month after completing the third vaccine shot or the second in the case of the two-dose vaccine, it's recommended that the vaccinated partner get tested to make sure they are protected. It's called hepatitis B antibody test. Uh, measures the level of protective antibodies and makes sure that that individual has enough hepatitis B surface antibodies that protect against the hepatitis B infection. If anyone who is at higher risk for hepatitis B infection, like being a partner for someone living with hepatitis B, then it's highly recommended to have this test after completing the vaccine. The scientific convention, although it's arbitrary, but the scientific convention agrees that 10 milli international units per milliliter or higher indicates that this individual is properly protected. Now, until it's certain that the vaccinated partner has enough antibody levels and fully protected, both partners must practice safe sex and use a condom and make sure they don't share razors, toothbrushes, earrings or nail clippers. When that happens and everything is like clear, they can really do whatever they want together and enjoy their intimacy, sex practices the way they like. Thanks. I, I think you bring up another good point here about going through the process of getting vaccinated, making sure they are vaccinated. And then while going through that process, they practice safe sex because the problem I think the reason why I think practicing safe sex is good in this situation is you might be thinking just about hepatitis B, but guess what? There are other sexually transmitted diseases that you might contact out there. So I think it's good, just like we talk about in a kitchen and with food and all that and practicing good hygiene or good sanitary practices. I think it's important that we practice safe sex in in this situation as well because you might skip her b but you might end up catching something else which might not help your situation so i think you make a good point by talking about the safe sex practice and this is a great point that you're bringing right because practicing safe sex as you said is good practice in general especially if the sexual partners don't really have this long-term relationship or they don't know each other or they are not in a long-term relationship. So they don't really know much about the sexual activity or sexual life of each. It's very, becomes even more important. It's important in general, but becomes more important. Okay. So we have a couple of next questions about like family related stuff too. So I can get hepatitis B if I share a bed with someone who has hepatitis B. No, this is considered a casual activity that doesn't transmit the virus. 
sharing the bed, sharing towels, that doesn't transmit the virus again. I can't emphasize enough the importance of the hepatitis B vaccine for household members of someone living with hepatitis B. I can't emphasize enough the hepatitis B vaccine for everyone in the world, but more importantly for household members, not because sharing a bed or sharing towels will transmit the virus, but because we don't know when anyone might get wounded and even a minor blood spot that we don't notice might be sitting there. Great. Thank you so much. And then the follow-up question to that is, can I have children if I have hepatitis B, which we already touched on a bit in the beginning about Mm -hmm. mother-to-child transmission? Um, This is such an important question. Yes, a person living with hepatitis B can have children and enjoy their love, enjoy their life, their successes. If this is a mother, so if the mother is the one living with chronic hepatitis B, then as an action plan, she needs to ask her doctor to test her for the hepatitis B E antigen or the hepatitis B virus DNA or viral load, and also known as the viral load, to determine if she needs to receive antiviral treatment in the third trimester or the final three months of pregnancy. Uh, She also needs to make sure that she chooses the health facility. So plan ahead and choose the health facility that she will be giving birth in and inform the healthcare team there about her status and how it is important to have the hepatitis B vaccine available when she is there to deliver her baby. That's very important because unfortunately, some health facilities don't have these vaccines readily available. And when the time is ready for the baby to be delivered, she needs to make sure to go to that health facility and deliver there. So she needs to make sure to be uh, to have a delivery that is attended by healthcare staff. If the father is the one who is living with hepatitis B, again, the baby get or the first dose of, of the hepatitis B vaccine in the delivery room or within the first 12 hours, and and then the next two shots as scheduled, uh, one month and six months of age. Other family members should also get tested and vaccinated. Yes, people living with hepatitis B can happily have children. So good to know. We always see people post their cures and treatment from herbs and supplements on the Hepatitis B Foundation Facebook page. Can you comment on use of herbs and supplements for hepatitis B treatment? This is a question we receive every day over email and social media. The Hepatitis B Foundation does not recommend using supplements and herbal remedies. The reason for that is these products are not vetted by the health authorities in any country. The FDA here in the United States and all other countries around the globe, the health authorities responsible for drug safety, they don't vet these products. This means that these products are not tested or regulated for effectiveness, safety, and purity. And this lack of regulation means that we don't really know what we are getting dose-to-dose or like bottle-to-bottle or brand-to-brand. The lack of testing means that taking some of these products could sometimes be actually harmful because we don't really know how much is there or it's not really controlled in the same way that medications and medicines are actually manufactured. Some of these products might be supportive of the liver, but they will not change the course of the virus and the damage to the liver if they are not careful. And some of these products may may actually, if used in the wrong way, may cause damage to the liver. We really have to keep in mind two things. A, 
is spending the resources because we do spend money to buy these products. So spending that money and leading a healthy lifestyle, choosing what we eat, choosing healthy food, maybe also practicing some exercise if that's possible physically. Spending those resources on leading a healthy, well-balanced diet and lifestyle will give the same benefit, if not even better benefit to the liver and to the body as a whole. So this is one important fact to keep in mind. The other important fact to keep in mind is that according to the guidelines, not everyone living with hepatitis B really needs to receive treatment or take medicines. But if their doctors tell them that they need medicine, then there are proven antivirals that really help control the virus, control slowing down the course of the disease and the progress of the disease and the impact of the disease on the liver tissue and the course of the disease in general. These are two important facts to keep in mind when we think about using the supplements and herbal remedies. And there are m- much more information about this on hepb.org website, our website. So feel free to jump on the website and find more information. Thank you for explaining into details uh, this. And I just want people to know that this is not anyone trying to take a dig at herbs and supplements. But the issue here is, like you mentioned, when it comes to efficacy, safety, potency, and purity, it's like these are questions that there is always no answers to. And so it becomes an issue where people are putting their life at risk. And that is the only reason why a lot of some of these supplements or herbs are not recommended. It's not because someone has something against uh, herbal medicines or stuff like that, but it's just because of we can answer these questions when it comes to these important aspects that everybody wants to know, which is efficacy, safety, potency and purity. And that is where the issues are because they are not regulated by anyone. So nobody knows what they are taking or what is in what they are taking and whether it's safe or it's not, nobody knows. And so you just can't fly like that. And that's the concern that everyone has. So it's not a dig or swipe away and say herbal medicine is wrong or something like that. So just to add that to what you said, but I think you made a really great point. Thanks, Brighton. And you bring a very important point. We're not really saying that everything out there is, is wrong. Just make sure, read, inform yourself, uh, get more information about what your one is putting into their bodies. It's very important to learn more and more about any supplement. Many supplements like vitamin D, cod liver oil, and many other naturally occurring supplements have protective effects either to the liver or to the immune system. We're not like discrediting or discounting these. But in this case, I would just advise, again, to inform yourself very well before using any product. Inform yourself very well about the brand or the company that is manufacturing that product. How much to use is very important. Too much of anything is harmful, to be honest. And moderation is the key. These are some of the tips that I personally even use if I if I decide to take any supplement. I like to read more about it and learn what good or harm does it cause and how to correctly use it. Thank you for, for adding that. So a more popular herb that we've seen people use is milk testel. Can you share with us what studies say about this in connection with hepatitis B? Because it sounds like that's number one go-to supplement that you hear a lot of people with hepatitis B take. 
is there any benefit of it to curing or helping the liver or anything like that? Right. And, and, and to your point, Bright, it's actually milk thistle, or also known as silymarine, is, is being prescribed by many physicians worldwide. So it, it's not just like the fame or the word, of, the word of mouth. It's a common practice in certain countries that physicians actually prescribe it to people living with hepatitis B, people living with hepatitis C, people living with liver disease in general. And I, and I have to say that there have been uh, some studies that show that silymarine or milk vessel might have supportive effect on the liver. On the other side of the aisle, there are studies that show that it doesn't really make any difference in the course of, uh, of the disease, whether hepatitis B, hepatitis C, or liver disease in general. So the evidence is controversial, but either way, there is nothing that really shows or even claims that cures hepatitis. With that being said, keep in mind what we mentioned earlier about the vetting of the manufacturing conditions of these products. Um, unless you really have a trust in a certain brand and a certain manufacturer, I would be very cautious using milk thistle. Talking about these herbs and supplements and being careful with this, is there an herbal cure for hepatitis B? Not to my knowledge. I mean, if that's if that's the case, we would all be celebrating right now, not, not sitting recording this podcast. So um, <laughs> not to my knowledge. There have been studies here and there about uh, herbs and, um, and their effect on the hepatitis B virus. These herbs are still under study. The current results so far show that these herbs don't cure hepatitis B, but some of them may have an effect suppressing uh, the virus, but they are still, again, as I mentioned, under study. If these herbs that, have, that are under study are to be used as medicinal products, they need to go through the manufacturing vetting and the good manufacturing practices as therapeutic products that are currently available. So in short, they are still under study and if proven to be effective, even in suppressing the virus. So nothing for cure, but even if they prove to be safe as, as a product to suppress the hepatitis B virus, they still need to be studied for safety and purity and, and they need to be manufactured in the same way or undergo good manufacturing practices to make sure that every single dose, whether through a pill or a tea bag or whatever it will be, provides the same consistent amount and effect as its sister bag or sister pill. That still is under study. But no, the answer is not to my knowledge. And I um, um, there is no cure for hepatitis B still, but there are a lot of studies with a lot of hope, not only for herbs, for other products as well. And this is a prime time for hepatitis B in terms of research and cure. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that about the herbal cure. So when anybody you see say, I have an herbal cure in Facebook or WhatsApp or something like that, just know it's not true. Right. If it sounds too good, then... It's probably not true. If it's just one person or one entity that is advertising it um, and the scientific community is not really celebrating it or talking about it, make sure that you vet this information very well because the cure is not there yet. We're not there yet. The next two questions are actually statements that I want to get your reactions to, if that is okay. 
if one gets hepatitis B, then it might be because they are or were promiscuous. That is, uh, I think through the what we discussed earlier, it's clear now that this is not true. We just mentioned, for example, that if a baby is born to a mother with hepatitis B and that baby just happens to be another female and then that female doesn't really know and then she also gets pregnant and gives birth to another generation of offspring, you will see it running in the family because of the mother-to-child transmission or vertical transmission that we described. There are so many ways of horizontal blood-to-blood direct contact that lead to transmitting the virus. And because, again, hepatitis B virus is very stubborn, very sneaky, it can exist in minor blood spots, it can remain viable on surfaces for up to seven days. And because many individuals are actually living with the virus without knowing, it keeps moving from one individual to the other. It doesn't really need for someone to be promiscuous. So this is part of the stigma that comes with hepatitis B. And I think with our patient organization, public health officials, clinicians, people living with hepatitis B, their families and and friends, everyone who's dedicated to this cause and touched by this virus, this should be our mission, all of us really fight the stigma that comes with hepatitis B. Thank you. And just to echo that statement you made that sex or sexual activity is not the only way someone can get hepatitis B. There are so many ways that someone can contract hepatitis B. So just because someone has hepatitis B doesn't mean they are promiscuous or anything to that effect. So thank you for making that statement. I think it's very important. It's a very important and strong statement because people always assume that sex is the only way for someone to get hepatitis B, which is not, happens not to be the only way. There are so many other ways. And like you said, the hepatitis B is so sneaky and so tricky. It, it even creates so many other loopholes that we don't even know of, but it's really not about sex alone. So thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, right? So the other statement is hepatitis B is caused by evil spirits. Or if you have hepatitis B, that means a curse is placed on you. That statement, it is not true. Absolutely. The science and scientists and researchers were able to see the virus, to isolate it, to identify it. There is a lot that scientists are still trying to understand about hepatitis B. It is such a complicated virus in the way that might infect someone and cause acute hepatitis B and infect another person and turn directly, like showing very little symptoms or missed symptoms or mild symptoms and and no symptoms and moving after six months into chronic hepatitis B without passing into that acute phase with yellow skin and and vomiting and all the, the, and the fever. The hepatitis B virus as in the way it presents itself in the body is very dynamic. Researchers are still trying to understand a lot about how the immune system reacts to the virus once it infects, but it is an infectious disease. We really have to all understand that it's not an evil spirit. It's not a curse. It's a pathogen that is transmitted and then causes an infection and a disease. Sure. So in other words, hepatitis B is just like any other disease that we have in in our society or in our world, like diabetes, like uh, high blood pressure and all the other diseases that we know. It's just like that. It's not caused by 
an evil spirit or it's not a case, just like we don't think when someone has diabetes, we don't think about it being caused by evil spirit or being a case. So hepatitis B in, in another way is not anything related to being a case or caused by evil spirit is just another disease, just like all the other diseases that we have in our society or in our world. Right. I mean, think of it as any other infectious disease like measles, like tuberculosis, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, can sit here for two days naming other infectious diseases that are transmitted from one human to another, and they are not caused by or seen to be caused by evil spirits or, or by a curse. Sure. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Yasmin. So just to wrap it up, we've covered a lot of topics about misconceptions related to hepatitis B. Can you just tell us how and where to get correct information? And then finally, if you have any final advice or comments you have for those living with hepatitis B. I would advise individuals who want to learn learn more about hepatitis B to visit our website. We have uh, so many resources that are either readable or watchable, or they can listen to like this podcast of yours. I make sure to listen to it every time a new podcast is coming because it's actually very informative and and helpful. And I I actually use it when I respond to email consults. I, I do share certain topics and episodes according to the question. So I, I think this is a great resource, our website, the podcast. Join the Happy community at happycommunity.org. Uh, it's a wonderful resource interacting with people living with hepatitis B, scientists, clinicians, researchers, the World Hepatitis Alliance website. So all the resources, as I mentioned, will be linked into the description. I can't really emphasize enough the importance of testing and vaccination. I realize the the stigma around hepatitis B and the discrimination that people diagnosed with hepatitis B are subjected to. But just imagine the possibilities of early diagnosis, taking the right steps early on to protect yourself, to protect the people that you love around you, take care of your health and your liver. These are all important steps that really, I I wouldn't really say that they change the natural history of the disease, but they definitely change the course uh, of the disease. The earlier the diagnosis, the better you will be able to take control of many things in your life, in your diet, in your activities that would make you a healthier individual and, and change the course and control the course of the disease. Family members and caregivers, I can't really emphasize enough the importance of the hepatitis B vaccine. Thank you, Yasmin, and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the discussion. If you enjoy listening to Be Happy, please give it a review and consider supporting our program with a link to donate in the description. Thank you for listening to this episode. Stay tuned and subscribe for future episodes about Hepatitis B. If you have any questions, please direct them to info at hepb.org. You can support our programs at the Hepatitis B Foundation by going to www.hepb.org donate. We greatly appreciate all your support and thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.